What's up? What's going on? This is Ed Gallows, the Fight Site MMA podcast. The Fight Sites MMA podcast. It's both. We we possess it and it is branded uh, by us. Anyway, I'm joined by Sharab Morali Darden, who maybe I should start letting him do the intros. I don't know. They've been getting worse. What do you think? <laughs> no, nah, I think they're good. I'm just kind of thinking about the details because I don't know whether we branded it as the Fight Sites or as the Fight Site MMA podcast. I but. think the official title is the Fight damn i don't want to i don't want to check i should know this i should know this i don't know it's both it's fine i don't care uh, it really if anyone tried to take over like the fight site and where we're actually the fight sites i'm pretty sure the courts would strike it down because it's too close you know they're like, taking um, our we copyright exist as a legal so. corporation exactly so that should have some degree of protection of our name and i know all the rules so yeah you're the watch out for that you know you know but. some rules we got some lawyers <laughs> um we know stuff so yes to back off but yeah. uh yeah before we start i just want to get this out of the way so uh post fight pod made a deal with me that i had to shout them out if Mahachev beat the crap out of hooker and he did so i'm going to shout them out now uh, our friend trey is on there so go check him out uh the guy who tagged me on twitter was not trey but i've heard he's also very smart so yeah go check him out uh, but, his yeah name, that's gonna be it <laughs> it's armin i believe nazarian but, yeah armin nazarian yeah He's a good yeah, guy. You're welcome. He told me to shout out the pod and not him. So I'm sorry, Armin, no. but there's your shout no, out as well. I would have been more generous. I would have been more generous if it was about anyone except Islam Mahacha. Bro, like, listen, so no. Trey doesn't get enough credit for being the nicest man alive, but um, I would say relative to the amount of credit that Trey gets, I would say uh, Armin also doesn't get enough credit for being extremely nice. Um, he, he's, you can tell why they're friends. Um, they're very similar, so. Shout out to both Even of you. outside the fact that both of them are friends with everybody. Mm. So. Just like mm. us. We're very pleasant people and that's why we're friends with them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just natural that we, that we, you know, we all come together yeah. in this way. Birds of a feather. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. But, that's what they say. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, definitely go check them out. Great people. Uh, yeah. We're here to talk about UFC 267 and 268. Uh, two very good events surrounded by um, enough, you know, glop on the weeks before and the weeks after that we're very thankful for them so yeah a fun event last week and hopefully thankful. another fun one next I'm time i'm ungrateful yeah i'm, I'm kind com- of ungrateful I'm gonna, I'm gonna complain here you go ready i mean no one wants um, to do it everyone's like wow we've been complaining about how bad the cards have been and then there was two really good cards back to back this is great this is what we asked for not me take a week off if you're gonna do something <laughs> this good you should take some time in between for us to process it and mostly so we can create content about it before just more good fights happen on top of it. And it That's becomes even true. harder to keep up. Not that we produce that much content anyway, <laughs> but if you were someone who was content minded, you'd be like, geez, chill. I need to make stuff. And it's nice to have less than like four or five days to do that. Um, come on. Just then relax. Again, relax a like bit. how many content minded people exist that actually take a a good amount of time to do that you like need that that content grind set sure um yeah i mean the vast majority of people they're just they're just writing search engine optimization articles like 300 words long uh, so i can't blame that. the ufc couldn't, for that couldn't be me couldn't be me. never done I've that. never done it in my <laughs> life but yeah but anyway we have a quite he- hectic schedule so for any patreon questions that we have it's going to be later but yeah, uh, you can yeah. relax too wait your turn <laughs> Yeah, but UFC 267, so I guess it's your call, Ed. Where do we start? We start with the best fight in the card, which was the main event. 
<laughs> of Peter Yan versus Corey Sandig, and uh, I faked you out. Uh, <laughs> really got me. I said double. But yeah, yeah. This is the best fight in the card, obviously, from the start, and it delivered. It was kind of impossible not to. Um, it delivered in so many ways, and I don't know if you've seen. Uh, I know you have, but just to our listeners, I don't know if you've seen the meme by Haxorize. Um, So Neil Magny hypnosis was the meme template. Uh, so if you're unfamiliar with Neil Magny hypnosis, it's that uh, it's, ooh, you're going to clinch with me. <laughs> you want to clinch. Uh, and it's like, you know, the spirally black and white hypnosis uh, type type thing in the background of his face. So he took that and he put Peter Yan in it. And now it's, Ooh, you're going to have like the performance of a lifetime against me. Ooh, it's not going to matter. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a curse word in there normally, but yeah, I mean that that basically sums it up is that Jan Brittings the best out of people. They are like, I need to be really good and try really hard the whole time to beat this guy, and then it, they they show up. Sandhagen showed up. Uh, Aljo showed up even despite how bad he got beat. That was a good version of him. Yeah. Um, but Aldo, I mean Aldo is never really not shown up but he he looked better you know than usual yeah you could say the only time i would say he didn't show up at all was probably volkanovsky but even then you can attribute some of that at least to volkanovsky no knowing how good volkanovsky is and the way that how close that fight was and that there's kind of an argument for him i think i would say that's that's showing up too he just you know yeah he he showed up in a weird way he could have showed up more but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but anyway uh let's let's just start with sandhagen because i think we're going to spend some time about all the great things that Peter Young did. Um, but what I guess what surprised you about Sandhagen, or maybe what are some things that you kind of already knew he was gonna do that worked more than you thought they might? Right. I mean, I don't think anything worked more than I thought it would for Sandhagen. I, I expected well, you, the fight to have you know everything, but you know, uh, if I you mean, were I a person it... that, that didn't <laughs> I mean, I think the fight had pretty much the flow that we'd expect from Peter Young fights against really strong volume fighters, which is you know the volume fighter would have some early success and then Peter Jan would figure it out and take those things away. But yeah, I was really impressed with Corey Sanhagen in this fight. I think it was a, a promising showing against a guy who uh, really looked like the best bandwidth on the planet. Uh, he had some sharp early reads. He was very urgent in the way that he dealt with Peter Jan's usual tools. It just, I mean, it's Peter Jan. Like, what are you going to do? So yeah, in terms of specifics, uh, early in the fight, I really liked the way that he played with this non-committal volume. Uh, Peter Jan, he's not really like, a defined counterpuncher necessarily, but he's a very good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses them to uh, get guys to back off and start pressuring them. And Sanhagen's usual volume game was back in full force in this fight. Uh, he did a really good job just using this flicking volume and just these you know sort of hand trappy feints to draw those out. Um, in terms of the hand trapping, I was very impressed with that as well. The hand fighting from Sanhagen early, especially, was actually it was really good. I, I liked it a lot. It was very urgent that like drag manually dragging around Peter Jan's hands and like punching around them, punching through them. Uh, very strong performance. He did some things from like the Marlon Marias fight where like he'd shift through like a throwaway left hand uh, and then like turn or throwaway right hand shift into like southpaw and leg kick him. It was like some. Really clever little setups there for his kicks. Peter Jan, avid kick checker. It didn't like last particularly long, but they were fairly smart. Um, the sort of level changing offense I liked a lot because Jan, he is high guardy, but it's also pretty tricky to get around it. It's a very mm-hmm. adaptive, very consistently uh, in motion high guard. You know, you can slip with it, uh, you can hand fight away your tools. So, with all that being said, Sandhagen going to have to work hard to get the opportunities that he did get. And the way he was able to, you know, draw out Peter Young's uh, high guard and left hook around it or left hook underneath it. Just really classic, clever things. In terms of the larger flow of the fight, 
One thing I really, really noticed in this fight from Corey Sanhagen, he was very attentive to his ring craft early. Um, we have seen fights. I think Frankie Edgar is the most obvious one because it was like one of two things that happened in that fight where Sanhagen just like sort of skirts back to the fence instantly and he just does not care. Like It's something that he's very well known for doing. Uh, we saw it in the TJ Dillashaw fight as well where like even if it's just to walk guys into flying knees, right? He's completely fine just walking back to the fence and like, jumping at them from there here it wasn't the case i think he knew very well that peter Jan was a fearsome fearsome pressure fighter uh and he was very careful you know staying laterally active at range lots of neat little direction changes on the outside when he got close to the fence to buy some space um and intercepting Jan's pressure instead of just conceding to it uh, eventually he had to but that's a story for the next you know part that we talk about peter Jan. so to keep the emphasis on stan hagen uh, it's a I mean, I thought this was a strong performance. Like, a lot of people thought Sanhagen would be the toughest fight for Jan out there. And I'm not completely sure that was proven wrong in this fight. Just because, you know, Sanhagen was able to kind of stay in there. Like, yeah, he didn't have a good time of it later in the fight. Uh, but he was there. He was incredibly durable. He was able to keep the pace for five rounds, uh, at least to some extent. And, I mean, he kept, you know, working to figure out solutions. So, you know, it's fair play to him. Like, that was a strong performance. Mm -hmm. From, like, a wrestling and grappling perspective, I think um, I'm a little unsure of what to say just because he did well, right? He did well defensively, yeah. and um, that's good. It's good that he did that because uh, Pirion's demonstrably a very good grappler, a very good wrestler. Uh, even for a division full of really good ones, um, he stands out. And I think he's becoming one of the better wrestlers and grapplers in MMA, which is scary because he's also yeah. maybe the best striker um, or top three at worst, which is, uh, you know, it's bad. It's bad for everyone. Um, but, you know, he, uh, yeah, Jan didn't really push the issue in terms of employing any sort of offensive wrestling and grappling. It was just kind of happening uh incidentally at times but he wasn't that wasn't didn't seem to be something he was trying to set up or work or anything and you know it's it's hard to quite put my finger on it just because um the directionality of the fight by the time that yan was picking up steam was sand naked fighting off the back foot and yeah pressuring which is you know what you wanted the whole time and it was working well enough and I think the victories were hard enough to come by that it can feel counterproductive to switch gears and try to do something different. Uh, just because, you know, as fluid as Jan is, you know, switching from, a, I need to hit, get a clean shot in on this guy and I need to get into on a really nice, like takedown entry on this guy, um, are, are different goals. Um, and it just based on the tactics that were working for him, I could see why it would be difficult. Although I did say last week on the solo cast that the hand fighting while pressuring could really help him out because I've seen him use touching off the hands to set up his doubles on the cage. And he's really good at it and really good at drawing up the hands and uh, getting his shots in. And I felt like that was the dynamic that was being established, but usually by the time they were in cage range, it was young, like shifting through something. I'm trying to get like a big shot off. That's where he was landing a lot of his big shots. So again, what, why, why stop doing that and wrestle? Um, he took a couple shots um, just, opportunistically it looked like just like when they were in, in more in space and things were more fluid um he didn't have to like chase him down as much i mean sanhagen's hips look pretty good um it didn't look easy to knock him over at all he looked pretty strong uh, which is something i remarked in the dillashaw fight too and i wasn't sure how much of it was tj's injuries or not but he, he looked stronger 
in grappling situations. Um, and yeah, he was doing basically all the same stuff that you uh, are used to him doing. Um, you know, the, the same type of tactics that were like, oh, this is why that Aljo fight went the way it did is because he's really quick to go for bailouts rather than really like procedural defense. Um, he was Granby rolling. He was funk rolling. He was, you know, turning, giving up his back, going for weird grips, you know, com- coming underneath Jan a lot. And um, yeah, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. But <laughs> Jan was moving kind of slowly on the ground, uh, much more slowly than I'm used to seeing, like just in those grappling, uh, grappling and wrestling exchanges. Uh, yeah, just something. Uh, I this is, this would be the second fight in a row where I'd be like, oh, you know, all of San Higgins' success on the ground was because something was wrong with his opponent, but I don't know. He just looked different and I can't really say what I would attribute that to. Um, but I mean, he, I mean, Jan looked totally fine. He looked extremely comfortable in every exchange. And it was honestly like with, with the speed he was going, <laughs> it kind of looked like he was playing with him a little bit. Um, he was, he was going for kind of risky positions. Like he was going, you know, in wrestling, I called him Merkel. He's putting that hook inside um, to hit these go behinds and, and change his control. He has some more of that Merkel control. Um, he's doing stuff like that, uh, you know, kind of giving some some play into Sandhagen Hand- continuing to be able to uh, scramble with him. So it was just like, I'll have to watch it again from that perspective, just because those exchanges were, I mean, they were totally fine for both of them, honestly. Um, I think they both ended up looking pretty good in, in each of those exchanges, but there were just some weird things happening where I was like, I'm not sure why this is different this time. And um the other thing that that gives me pause from that perspective is Sandhagen started taking a lot of shots on Yan, and um, I'm not quite sure <laughs> how to feel about it. And all I can say is it might have been an adaptation to or or something that was planned to deal with the shifting because the shifting was giving him trouble. And I'm sure you'll get into this once we jump into more of being Yan focused, but literally just being overwhelmed on the back foot um, and not being able to make the adjustment because you need to get back to not get hit by something. Um, that that seemed to make him pretty uncomfortable. And that's something that as his legs started to go, as the fight went on, it became easier and easier for you to just track him down that way. And that's kind of where he started shooting more. Um, so I think it was a response to being being less comfortable in those situations than he was early. Cause his shot was terrible. Um, it looked like Aljo's shot. <laughs> he was just bending over. Um, but like I said, he looked he looked strong. Like it, it just looked hard for Yan to completely like break with him or or turn that into a more offensive position. I was just surprised based on the, the how sloppy the shots he was taking were. Like that Yan wasn't doing worse things to him for trying after we had just seen him clown clown aljo for the same thing and like you you're gonna assume that aljo's gonna feel stronger in those situations so i don't know what exactly it was i also think that yan has a pretty good poker face and we talk about motor right he's different he's different because he is an endurance athlete but the way he fights is so intense um it's really high effort like he 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 throws hard um, you know, mechanically he's good, but he throws hard. Like he, he pursues very high intensity exchanges and they happen a lot. Um, so that you need to have multiple types of endurance for that to happen. Um, and to be able to pick up the pace as you go over five rounds is just the most ridiculous thing. 
Um, like, <laughs> I, I think Holloway is the only other guy that I've ever seen like that, um, where they're like nasty. It's not just, you know, they can keep up a lot of volume over time. It's like, no, they're getting more intense as they go. Um, and that, that's like the first thing I ever noticed about that guy. Uh, watching him, like the first time I saw him in a five rounder, I was like, oh my God, like this, this is going to be so hard for people to deal with. Um, and yeah, sure enough, it's, it's extremely hard to deal with. Anyway, um, yeah, considering that, I actually think Sandhagen tired him out a lot. So that's another point in his favor is I think he was actually wearing it um, and, and was feeling the, the, the pace of the fight and the, the difficulty of the fight because there's, I think it's one thing to go full tilt when you're getting the exchanges you want and they're, they're competitive and it's hard and you're dealing with someone who's very tricky, um, similar to the auto fight. But, you know, it, it's a much more stable target, I, even though I, I think Aldo's defense is better. Um, it's just different. And it's not like you have to track this guy down as much. It's like, he's there, but he's just going to make it really, really hard for you. Um, where Sandhagen often was not there. So I think that's just, it's just hard to catch somebody like that. Um, and he really, really wanted to, <laughs> he was chasing him down. He, he was chasing him down the whole time. So, um, yeah. I think that made him tired. That's my point. Yeah, I think all that's fair. I think another athlete who I'd say is similar in terms of cardio is Dustin Poirier, just cause I don't think mm-hmm. Max is the sort to swing super hard, but Poirier, like Jan, he's like shifting through half the things he's yeah. throwing. And that's not even like a lot of them are very intentional shifts. A lot of it's just I'm throwing super hard and I need to catch myself. And with that, he's going five rounds very easily. And even with that, you know, you have like them looking like they're slow, not them, Poirier looking like he's slowing down and just like instantly just being in another gear somehow. So you just insane freaking uh, freak endurance. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, live, uh, I commentated this one with Fania. Uh, and he mentioned that one issue that Sanhagen had with Aljo was just the, the frame of Aljo. Like, Sanhagen's used to doing a lot of, like, janky, long boy things. And that would be there against Peter Jan. It wouldn't necessarily be there against Aljo, who's also massive. And as soon as you give up your back, he's just going to be there with his massive long boy legs. Yeah. Just lock them. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what happened in the, in the Aljo fight, at least partly. And uh, Jan, it's a different story, even on the ground. Like, even with Jan looking like a demonstrably better wrestler and grappler than uh, Aljo. Different things are going to work with him. Sure. And Sanhagen's style is very different to Aljo's. Like, he's more willing to go through uh, really energy-intensive scrambles, as you mentioned. Uh, but, yeah, I also think the tall boy thing sort of worked out with uh, the clinch conversions because we didn't see nearly as many with Jan in the, yeah. in the open as we're used to. Uh, it's just, as you mentioned, right, Jan had to seriously track Sanhagen down to get to these places. So if he was close enough to end up in one of these clinch conversions, usually... Like, he was running forward and Sanhagen was running back. So it was just easier to just, you know, shift through and hit him. There was one really nice one. I think it's one of those clips that everyone was sharing where, like, Jan sort of shifted into him. Sanhagen back straight up. And there was just one really clean cl- uh, clinch conversion where, like, Jan jabbed in, proactively ducked a spinning back fist, ended up in the clinch and, like, socked him to the body. Mm-hmm. Th- that one was nice. But overall, there weren't as many. And I think it was just because Sanhagen, the only way that Jan could push him back a lot of the time was just going, you know, fuck it, I'm going to shift at you. Yeah. it worked like it was a good plan uh but yeah insofar as Jan striking uh i think we saw a lot of what made Jan just such an insane special fighter not just an athlete an insane fighter as in you know as, as a technician a lot of people seem to misunderstand it uh but early in the fight we saw like i think the story of the fight was just how hard Sanhagen had to work to get anything done uh and we saw that really compound on him and Jan being able to figure out all these really big actions uh so 
I mentioned earlier, for instance, like Sanhagen's big direction changes. Uh, that was a thing that he did actually super well, you know, changing directions against the yeah. fence or uh, angling off as he threw. And, too. Yeah, I mean, San, that's something that Sanhagen does really consistently, right? With the exception of maybe the Asunsaw fight where he was the one on the front foot, pretty much all the things that Sanhagen does, they rely on him stepping in, angling off. That's most of his defense. Uh, but... Against Jan, like, he tried it a lot, and he did it a lot. It's just that Jan started tracking him down really, like, you know, the way the pressure footwork works, uh, and it's not something that we've discussed in detail a lot, just because there aren't that many good pressure fighters, is that it takes a lot of really small, precise steps. And Jan was taking these really small, controlled steps into range, drawing out these direction changes, and really harshly punishing Sanhagen for them in a way that I don't think anyone is really capable of doing to Sanhagen in that same way. Uh, one exchange that I really remember was uh, Sanhagen pulling off these really slick direction changes against the fence. Jan just fainted in. Sanhagen went one way and went the other, and Jan just cut him off with a right hook and a right body kick at the same fucking time. It was insane. Like, just an amazing pressure performance from him. Um, we saw, I think, in the third round, uh, Sanhagen started pulling off that angling stuff. Jan just pivoted off his rear foot and hit him with an uppercut, uh, and he did that, like, two more times in the fifth, That's the like, heat 30 seeker. seconds the apart. The uppercut. I was like, how is he landing <laughs> Just insane. He was turning in the middle of it. And Sanhagen's so big. Like, I don't understand it. Like, you should not be able to land uppercuts like that. It, it's insane. But yeah, like, that was kind of the story of the whole fight, really, is Jan's defense was so insanely strong. He was, um, yeah, the high guard, but also all the hand fighting really messed with Sanhagen's ability to build on anything he was doing. Um, he was slipping really well. He was His positioning was on point pretty much all the time, where Sanhagen could never, like, angle around him to get to a good angle. Uh, there were some times early in the fight where I think Sanhagen's, you know, his approach just flustered him, which is fair. Like, there are, there are ways in which someone like Sanhagen's going to annoy anyone, even the best defensive fighters. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a style that's going to annoy everybody. And he has the the tank to make that work. You know, he's just going to keep doing that until you break down. But Jan figured it out. And yeah, I think that's mostly the story of the striking, right? Sanhagen had to work really, really hard to avoid these exchanges both in terms of ring craft and in terms of the, the shot selections that he was taking. And when he ended up there, it was just brutal. And I think a lot of the, um, it, it wasn't just the good habits of Sanhagen that Jan punished. It was the big bad one that I think we noticed against TJ Dillashaw as well, which is those big linear retreats. Um, we saw Dillashaw track him down with these big shifting combinations several times. And that's one thing that Peter Jan is historically very good at. Uh, and against Sanhagen, who isn't much of a counter threat, we have seen him counter a couple times, but uh, he isn't that sort of counter threat where it's saying, you know, I'm going to shift at you is more likely than not to run into a counter. Jan was able to kind of feast later in the fight, just sort of shift at him, draw out these big linear retreats where Sanhagen would like break stance, bring his feet together and just clack him with the lead hook. Lots of stuff like that. So yeah, Jan just put everything together just brilliantly. It was a tremendous fight. Um, and I think really everything we expected came together. Like Sanhagen was able to put together a lot of these really clever, neat, layered exchanges. But the strategic fight fell into Jan's hands way too easily for him to have much of a shot. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite dynamics of this fight was the things that were happening in the more open space exchanges where, you know, Sanhagen was using, like you said earlier, his throwaways and like his poking, prodding strikes to move Yen's guard around and try to land in those in those moments. And when Yen, you know, committed more to being a counterpuncher, um, it was interesting because a lot of the time he was landing, especially his uh, his lead hook. Um, he was yeah. he's checking him a lot with that, and his follow ups often miss. But um, when he started going to the body, he was way more accurate there. So that's one adaptation that really made me happy. Is 
you know, if someone's going to back up with their head, their head back, you need to need to go to their body and you need to kick. And he did both. Yeah, Jan's counter body kick was mm-hmm. insane in this fight. Like, was that was landing the him. entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. He was all over him with it. So that was really the only adaptation he needed is this guy's going to try to lead on me. I'll back him up with the counter and then I'll hit him wide with something round. Um, body shot, body kick, doesn't really matter. Or go high. He went high as well. Um, and he started going high, spinning, which, uh, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> but that's, that's round. That's round. That works. Um, and I don't even think the time that he knocked him down, I didn't think it was like one of those things where he moved him into it from the side. I think he just caught him. He just, he just had the range on it and he was backing up and he found it. Uh, anyway, that dynamic was really cool. And, and Sanhagen did a lot of neat, neat stuff as well, where he was like, not just going to back up right after you try to swing on him. So he'll like, cause once he had established that, that Yam is going to overswing on some of these, he shouldn't pursue every single time. Um, there was a cool thing that was happening where it was like, yeah, I'm going to go like really big uh, lead hook and, you know, try to follow up once and then maybe uh, like plant and stop or something like that. And Sandhagen was like giving him the, the counter bait backing up planting darting back in with, with a, like a jab or a straight. And those were some of his best shots of the fight. Honestly, was uh, he got to intercept Jan a little bit, uh, which he was not able to do nearly as much when it was Jan saying, I'm pressuring you now. And I'm going to track you down. Cause he's careful. You know what I mean? But as a counter, puncher he was a little bit more eager um so that was like one of the only times you could really tell that Sandhagen was like setting him up and playing with him getting getting counters in um which is you know interesting interesting to think about in terms of okay who can beat Yan is like maybe it is someone who can who can play who can play that game with him um and you know counter him um but you have to get him in a different kind of fight I think to counter him I don't think it can be like I'm gonna wait on you and you pressure me and I'll counter you no yeah. don't do that um <laughs> And another part of that is that that whole dynamic was very interesting. But Jan kind of killed it by saying, all right, this all happens because you do your poking prodding setups and you, you get a lot of, you get a lot of free movement while I wait. I'm just going to hand fight with you while you do that. I'm just going to get a little closer and I'm, I'm going to be all over your hands. Um, I'm going to pull on them and I'm going to move them out and I'm going to you know, do all these little things that make you feel vulnerable and make you want to back off, um, which, you know, Sandhagen's pretty careful himself. And, you, know, you you wouldn't think so because like he does get hit a decent amount, some, but that's because he's you know he's trying difficult things, um, yeah. and he he is pretty careful a lot of the time. He doesn't want to be in every exchange, and he doesn't want to make a bad read and like you know lead sloppily or anything like that. Like he, he's trying to to be good. Um, so if you <laughs> if you're all over his hands like that and you're moving around, he's gonna feel scared. Um, I don't know, you know, scared in terms of yeah, unsure, normal fighter scared, unsure yeah. of himself. Um, so I think that really messed with him, and that gave uh, yeah a little bit more of that breathing room to back him up again and to start tracking him down. So I feel like that was a big turning point as well. But yeah, it's just like it wasn't even. It, it was definitely one of Jan's best performances in terms of this was difficult to deal with, and he figured him out, and he clearly won. Um, but also, he didn't look, uh, I don't know, physically as dominant as we're used to seeing. But I think it was just a hard fight for him to leverage that in. I think that's the bottom line. It just was yeah. a weird matchup for him. I think generally, like, that was one thing that I think a lot of us pointed out before the fight is a lot of Sanhagen's intrigue in this fight comes from just being the sort of fighter who, if you exist at them long enough, they're not going to go away. Yeah. Uh, like, I, Jan never beat anyone by just existing at them, obviously. 
But Jose Aldo, we have seen some issues with that historically from him. Uh, Aljamain Sterling, the way he was fighting, was going to do that to him. Um, you know, like, Sterl Sanhagen, he was going to be there the entire time, and he was going to be able to play that sort of volume round-winning game consistently over five rounds. And Jan, he's, as you mentioned, he's an endurance athlete. Like, yes, he's super strong. Yes, he's a great puncher. Yes, he's, just, he's, a, he's a great athlete in every way, but his biggest edge in a lot of ways is his pace. And Sanhagen was someone who was going to be able to stand up to that, at least to some extent. Like, yes, he did slow down a little bit against uh, TJ Dillashaw, and he did slow down a little bit here. Like, he lost the fourth worse than he did the third, uh, and as, as it went until Jan sort of took his foot off the gas early in the fifth and then won it anyway with, like, three big shots. But it, that's the sort of thing where, yeah, Jan, he was never going to, like, take over this fight as strongly as he did against Aldo, where, like, he just won later rounds and then just punched him into a bloody pulp. Like, I don't think anyone really expected that. But yeah, in terms of uh, the strategy, in terms of fighting Jan, uh, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head. You need to force Jan to be a little bit more desperate to counter in order to counter him back. Um, Sanhagen had the skill set to, like, force Jan to counter in combination, uh, like, really, really hard. Uh, Jan does that pretty consistently, but the big thing with Sanhagen was that, yeah, he'd come in with something really non-committal, but he'd back away really quickly. So for Jan to catch him, he'd have to A, counter kick, which he did that a bunch, or B, counter in big uh, flurrying shifts, which if Sanhagen had the skill set to like draw that out and then like sit down in the middle of the shift and counter him, that'd be something really interesting for me uh, to see from Peter Jan or from a Peter Jan opponent. But Sanhagen could do the first part, but not the second, which I mean, honestly, I'm not really surprised by that. Those are two very different skill sets for fighters. Uh, you know, like if you're going to be that poking, prodding fighter, it's not something that like you're kind of designing yourself not to exist in exchanges for longer than you have to, or at least to create exchanges on your terms. So if someone's countering you consistently in combination, you're bound to be a little bit like skittish, uh, which I mean, it's fair. Like Sanhagen's game isn't being in exchanges in the same range as Peter Young. So I'm not surprised by that, but yeah, I think there are, I don't, I wouldn't say at all that this fight showed holes in the game of Peter Young, but I do think that that's an interesting way to look at it is, you know, he, he is, there are, games that can be interesting against him, but you can also really consistently trust him to take those away. Uh, I think one thing we saw, the hand fighting was also really interesting because as you mentioned, it took away the uh, sort of poking prodding game. We did see Sanhagen sort of deal with that sort of issue against Rafael Asuncao a little bit, where he went with these long rights and long uppercuts early in the fight to work around the hand fight. But I think the difference again was that Asuncao was trying to walk him into counters yeah. and it gave Sanhagen the time to, you know, sort of regain the initiative and work around it. Jan, he was on him. And if uh, Sanhagen tried to go for these like big around the guard shots, uh, Jan would be there to draw him into these big exchanges, counter him very hard, uh, deal with that commitment appropriately. So very clever performance from both. I was very impressed by both. Just um, really, really strong fight. Mm -hmm. One more little thing, because we've spent, like, it's been a while uh, talking about this one, deservedly so, but it's been a while. Um, people might be discouraged in the future to hit Peter Jan in the body because he can just tank everything, but you have to. You have to for multiple yeah. reasons. One, because you need to score on him. You can't not hit him. Like, this, you're more likely to hit him in the body, so you should hit him in the body because you need points uh, no matter what um you don't bank on finishing him i don't know if that's possible so <laughs> you need points you need to hit him in the body and you i mean it works it does work um like just because he can tank everything and you won't like seriously affect him doesn't mean it's not working um like i said i, th I think he got tired i think he got tired in that fight like for him that was tired 
um which oh my god ridiculous so yeah I mean, for both guys both those guys look gassed by their standards yeah, by the end yeah. they oh, worked Sam hard Hagen, short notice he he was he was feeling it um uh, which is just that's crazy that that's their version of that but yeah anyway so lots lots to think about from that fight and i'm sure there's gonna be a lot more said about it from our end uh as well because uh i think people are chomping a bit to say stuff about it and write stuff about it and i, I think two already did uh on tenger dome uh, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's a gold mine. So that was, that happened. And then the actual last fight of the card, the, the main event, uh, was the light heavyweight title fight. And, you know, I was very respectful last week, um, of this fight and you shouldn't have been, no, the... I think cause I was right. <laughs> I was right. I was right. The Jan, and we've been saying this for a while is okay. So the, the big bad fight on Jan's resume, um, the, you know because he has bad losses but the really bad one uh is that he got top gained by gus uh that's that's really bad so he got top gained by gus he got taken down what like once per round and this was on his back yeah. the entire round from then on and i think there were fights where grappling happened in them a little bit after then until now but you really didn't get another look at it at all and it's just like okay we have no idea if he can do stuff off his back yet because uh, that was <laughs> he, he couldn't do anything um he didn't have get-ups he, he just had he or Stalling. retaining guard yeah so i knew that um and we knew that glover can wrestle um and knows how to get into these situations and if he gets on top like yeah he's if gus top games you you're dead you're done um so it's just like i knew that like we all knew that coming in like that this was possible um it's just like okay but also glover gets rocked every fight and is 42 and jan hits hard and is pretty smart on his feet so this should work out um so, so let's start with why why didn't jan knock him out what, what were you seeing from him that was making it difficult uh and what was like surprising you about glover's defense perhaps because um, i definitely have things to say about glover's offense but if we want to start with that mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really see anything surprising about Glover's defense, I guess. Uh, The big read I had on this fight was just, like, afterwards, it was just kind of sad for me. And I know a lot of people were happy for Glover. I think that's fine. I understand. It's just... It's just narratively, it bugs me. It's, like, the most light heavyweight outcome to ever happen. Well, the the train goes, Jan, Izzy, Robert Whitaker. So it's just, like, you know, (laughs) that's what you felt, maybe even subconsciously. You're just like, oh... This, hurt. Maybe. I, this hurts Robert Whitaker somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. But I also think that the big thing for me is that, like, you could really see Jan Blahovich improving fight to yeah. fight in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be just yeah. about Rob. <laughs> like, in terms of light heavyweights, I think Jan Blahovich is one of the few that I've really grown to respect just because of that improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, you could really see it in that Israel Adesanya fight. You know, he you could see he put a lot of work into his craft. And that's really rare to see at light heavyweight, especially at this age. Um, he worked really, really hard to contain his most destructive instincts uh, and to, you know, become a sharp, clever fighter who could win some tough fights. And on the other hand, you have Glover Teixeira, who only started winning consistently after the Jones fight, after he fell off physically, completely. It was not the sort of thing where he made big improvements whatsoever. Uh, And I'm being kind to him when I say he won these fights off hard alone. So... It's just the most frustrating thing to me. And I think it's like we say a lot of times people get athleted and sometimes it's tongue in cheek. This time he didn't get athleted. Like 
Glover is not a great athlete at this point in his career. He can barely move his head. Uh, but yeah, MMA. <laughs> yeah, it's just irritating to me. You know, it's it's like I I get why people are happy that Glover was able to overcome his physical limitations, but yeah. the fact that this guy was able to not really improve, get actively worse, in fact, win fight after fight at light heavyweight and beat the only guy at light heavyweight who bothered to really improve, like, it bugs me. But, yeah, that's basically my big read on the fight. In terms of what happened, it just, Jan doesn't have real ring craft on the back foot. That's really what got me. I don't know whether it was just this fight because he was freaked out because of the wrestling and didn't know how to buy space without big blitzes. Um, Like, I think that was probably, like, uh, a lot of what he, he didn't really do it against Izzy, but also Izzy wasn't the sort to like really step in with he also big felt threatening like he attacks. had an offensive wrestling threat off the back foot against Izzy, and that really helped. Yeah, I, I think it's also a lot that Izzy isn't the sort to like step in with big offensive attacks against the fence, or Glover Teixeira at least has one of those, which is the takedown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jan could sort of stand against the fence and wait for Izzy to step in and like counter him, where against Glover, he was just he couldn't really do anything like that so he just sort of backed up and stood there um and he couldn't really blitz to buy space because he was afraid of the reactive shot which glory did used to have at least so yeah i think that was most of it like in the second round after the can opener debacle we did see jan have some success you know sort of punching around glover's frame and doing some things like that but the, the mm-hmm. footwork sunk him uh and yeah it's like, uh, I don't think anyone really considered Jan to have really strong ring craft. It's just the sort of thing where we kind of expected him to get to Glover before that happened. Uh, weirdly sort of fragile fight where like both guys needed their win condition as quickly as possible. And I think we saw one of those outcomes, just one that would happen pretty consistently mm-hmm. with the way Jan was fighting. Yeah, I, I thought Glover fought great. Um, it was the greatest performance of his career. Unironically, it was really good. Very possible. Um, he he fought very well. Uh, he 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 took him down within a minute, um, which is perfect. Um, that's the that was the worst time for him not to be wrestling. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like uh, you knew his his two three was was it <laughs> on the feet. You're like, yeah, this is what he's got. Um, but I really like how he used it. Um, he changed levels very consistently on it. And that that's all you need to do. Um, you're threatening a single leg. Um, hell yeah. Like go to the body with your, your rear hand, go straight to the body with your rear hand. Um, that's a single leg. Um, you're setting up a double, like to plant your feet on your, on your front foot, uh, your left hook. Yeah. And throw it to the body and throw it to the head. And he was doing both with both. And it was just like the way he was mixing up his combinations was very intentional um, but it was also like just responding to the way that Jan was reacting. He he was making reads on on Jan. He was setting him up. Uh, he was walking him down. He was throwing his two three at different levels. And you know he only had to do it once early on to get into the range where he had to shoot on him. And then on the cage, you know it was a lot of chaining. Uh, it wasn't a great early shot. He was pretty high. But yeah, it was able to actually uh, you know pull uh, probably on the butt cheeks honestly, but pull but pull, pull on his butt. Um, and move him off the cage and, and can keep running it and then get a better shot in and go single and move him on the single. And it was just really good chain wrestling um, to get him down uh, in space in guard. And then, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Jan regarded, actually. I think he took him down to a more dominant position, but he regarded. And then Jan was like, I'm not going to try to get up because it's the first round mm-hmm. and I'm just going to conserve my energy and, you know, hold him down. And apparently he gassed himself out doing that because he, he looked because he looked really tired. Can uh, opener sucked, dude. I hate him. In in the second round, Jan looked really worn out. Like he didn't look 
like he was breathing super heavy, but his arms looked heavy and his legs looked heavy um, from grappling, which I'm just going to say it's a mental thing. It was like an adrenaline dump. I've been there. Like, you know, you have better muscular endurance than that, but you just fry your, your arms, like trying to grab onto something like just because I think Glover probably felt really strong on top of him. He's like, oh my God. And it was just like desperately trying to hold on to him. I think that happened because um, he just looked like he was not totally there anymore physically after the first round. And then he was like trying and he was like doing okay work. But I mean, as soon as Glover took the front foot again and was doing all those things I was talking about, the two, three, but that was it. That was all he was doing. with it. <laughs> he was doing it while moving forward and it was, and he has a already fairly hunched stance. So Yama's was like, I cannot go to the ground again. Um, so he was really freaked out by all the level changing and it, it backed him up and he was like gun shy and he was trying to find counters and it was throwing him off and he started getting nailed. Um, and yeah, Glover was, Glover was hitting him clean with every right hand he threw. Um, then the left hook landed and he just, he was beating him up and then he got back in on his hips and he put him down again. And then, yeah, I'm just like, I need to get up immediately because I'm, I'm so screwed. Um, and he just gave up a terrible position and paid the price for it. And yeah, Glover fought exactly the way he needed to. And it wasn't that complicated. And uh, if Jan was better, I think he would have dealt with it. I think that's the <laughs> bottom line. It's, it's I want to be sad for him uh, because obviously I have a lot of reasons to want to respect him. And I do respect him, um, but uh, he, he's kind of bad so that's very true the, 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 <laughs> the, that's the kind of the bottom line is that happened to him and that's not really something you would be able to write off you know if that happened to a fighter you consider to be elite you'd be like wow their stock has fallen so dramatically in my eyes imagine if max holloway uh like not even khabib like a comparably darren elkins <laughs> yeah let's go let's go with it but just imagine if he got taken down <laughs> early in the first round of a five round with darren elkins you'd be like uh that's pretty bad but then if he was just done after after that, you'd be like, no, no, no. Uh, if he was so freaked out by that, by that, I know it's different. Darren Elkins is definitely a, not a very flattering example, but um, I think it's accurate. I, I do feel the need to criticize Jan Blachowicz because just, because yeah, was, I think it's fair. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good performance yeah. and it, I hope he gets better, but um, that was a hole he had years ago and it's, he still has it. And it's a pretty big one. So, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think the point with Jan Blachowicz got a lot better. I don't think it should be conflated with Jan Blachowicz became good. <laughs> I think it's very easy to conflate the two. Uh, for a light heavyweight, he became quite good. Uh... In in a general sense, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, of course, this really brings up the question, is Israel Adesanya good? Which I don't really... That's a complicated question. I'm not going to go into it. the question them, is, at what but... size do fighters become good? Is it... Is uh, Robert it, Whitaker's size and no bigger. Is it heavier than 155? I don't know <laughs> if it is. Is Kamaru Usman good? We're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But okay. yeah, I think it's okay. it's just more about their trajectories for me. It's like, I, I wouldn't say Glover Teixeira is good at this point either. He fought a good fight. He but fought a great probably, fight. He's probably a bit too physically declined for me to consider good right now. Um, He's going to get the Arlovsky tier chin regrowth. That, okay, that might be actually kind of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just more about the trajectories. Like, it's, you know, Jan Blahovich, like, uh, I don't know. It's weird not to make a bigger deal out of it than it is, if that makes sense. Like, you you see a light so heavyweight like, oh, trying. Not even a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So you see a light heavyweight trying, and you're like, wow, this guy's trying. Maybe we should like him. And then he immediately goes and does something like this. Like, why? 
Uh, it feels so futile and How many I'm just times tired. I teach you this lesson, old man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I've never fooled myself into caring about light heavyweight before. I didn't care about light heavyweight's division before. But, you know, maybe seeing him actually beat a great striker at striking for a good bit of time, it tricked me. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that Jan will always have, but this was not the performance that uh, that flattered him, let's say that. You no, know, matchups, uh, they're a thing. They're a thing. Uh, as we know. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a couple. I'm just going to get hit him, hit him right now. Rapid fire. Uh, yeah, we have gone 45 minutes. Fighters, <laughs> fighters from the Caucasus. Here you go. Ready? Islam Makhachev. Uh, he fought great. Dan Hooker fought like he fought against, um, what's his face? Nahak uh, Baras. It was pretty similar. Uh, he was like, you know, he was, he was playing, playing the cool on the feet. Um, but he did throw a naked low kick. And Makachev timed it and hit him with the straight and caught the kick and put him on his back and immediately elevated, got the leg mount, um, spent some time uh, like cross sides and a pretty open half guard. And I think he was uh, taking his sweet time because he could have passed to side control way sooner than he did, but he wanted to lock up that Kimura grip first, locked up the Kimura grip, then stepped back over into side control when he felt like he had it was cranking it everyone there was a big discussion not really a discussion but like a couple of people posted like wow like uh habib told him to put the leg over the head to finish the kimura and everyone's like wow what a genius coach and like that's how you learn to finish kimuras ever like that's any time that you've ever who's not teaching you to do it that way um so I, it just revealed some things about a couple of people um but anyway like no i don't think habib had to tell him to do that i think he was um using the, the side control position with the grip to pull hooker further away from the cage. Um, because as soon as he was in, in position where it was comfortable to put him flat and step over, he did. Um, it just, I think it just Habib saw it when it was there at the same time. I think that's what happened. So good fight. Uh, not, not surprised. Uh, and last week's podcast, I said, Dan hooker got top game by Dustin Poirier. Um, and that's what you need to know. And that, that was accurate. So there you go. Um, yeah, but yeah, but good, good for Makachev for, for doing what he needed to do. Uh, Chumayev. Uh, Chumayev had a really easy uh, entry onto his first takedown, but I liked it. <laughs> I liked his, I liked his shot. Um, it was a nice shot under a telegraphed uh, rear hand, uh, you know, hit the double. Uh, he's a, he's pretty long. He's a long fighter, but he level changes very well. I, I mean, obviously he comes from actual wrestling. He's a real wrestler. Um, so he's not like a Sambo uh, crossover, but I mean, his first takedown in the UFC beat on John Phillips. It was the little bag off combo uh-huh, off, off the kick. He, so yeah. he can wrestle for real. Um, anyway, he, he hits really nice level changes on his doubles. I, I approve turns the corner as well. And that often puts him in those body lock situations. He doesn't uh, drive straight through his doubles. Um, he comes back up into the, onto the seatbelt, to the body lock, uh, his little hip pop on the side to get elevation. And then once you have someone elevated, uh, Li Jingliang didn't know what to do. One thing you could do is hook inside the leg, like reach back and hook inside the leg with your leg. Uh, that usually stops people from like tossing you over and getting any sort of arc on it. Uh, they'll have to put you straight down, but that's actually what you might have wanted to do. Uh, he was putting him straight down and pulling him back to get tr- more traditional back control, whereas everyone thinks, oh, you're breaking him forward, you're breaking him forward. Uh, he was really comfortable as a grappler. And uh, if you just want details on, on that finish and how he got that choke, Ben. I uh, wrote a really nice article about it. It's on the site now. So there's a breakdown in that fight. And uh, sure, I didn't want to, but I'm going to give a shout out to Magomed <laughs> Ankalaev. Uh, speaking of light heavyweights, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. I thought Vulcan Uzdemir fought like crap, um, but I thought Ankalaev dealt with everything very well. And I was, uh, was I impressed with him? Yeah, I was impressed with him. Um, I thought, I thought he was good. 
So next time he fights, I'm going to say that he's a good fighter. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to forget that he got taken down by Paul Craig. It didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go that far with Ankalaev. Um Yeah, he he seems like an all right counterpuncher. He's okay at certain things. Um, just I think the, the phrase that our friend Tuman used was pathologically okay. I think that's just kind of how I feel about him. I'm cool with and, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. You know, after Jan Blachowicz, that whole debacle. If he's okay I'm not at everything. Be, you I'm won't get hurt be. like that again. You'll know where he's at at everything. Well, uh, he got choked out by Paul Craig, man. It's it was the end <laughs> of the fight. You know, was it his debut? It was something like is it, that. Is it better to get choked out at the end of the fight where you know everything that's going to happen to yeah. you? Yeah. No. Yeah, because he'd already won. Okay, at that point, at that point, at that point you like, can't right. talk shit about Leon anymore. That's the rule. Well, I'm not saying he's anywhere near <laughs> as good as Leon. <laughs> There, the ruling has been made. It's been. We too don't. Late. We make concessions wow. for fighters that we need to make concessions for, like light heavyweights, not for fighters who are supposed to. The be ruling good. has been made. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that. I think that's enough of that card. Was there anything else on it? Yeah, the officiating in Elizay oh, dos Santos versus Benoit Sandini. I can't believe we have to talk about this every week. Just well, this stop one, everyone, everyone noticed it this time. Yeah, but we still talk about something like this every week, yeah. and the fact that we have to it annoys me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but basically in that second round, I would say that the best time to stop the fight uh, was when he was uh, hitting that barrage against the cage because, um, you know, there was an argument a little bit a few times before that, but he was like fighting still. He was doing things that would make it harder to hit him and, and maybe not hit him as much. Like he was taking at that shots point, and, he wasn't. No. Um, but at that point, he was just standing there um, and he had like fallen over five times before that. And it was very obvious he was done. Then, of course, he recovered and ended up having more success in the fight after that. But it, again, that's not how that's not an argument. It's not an argument for not stopping a fight. You stop a fight because of what's happening. Then you can't use stuff that happens later as an argument for not stopping it. Um, tons of things can happen if you let someone get knocked out and wake back up. Maybe they'll win. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it happened with Marab and Mirage. Doesn't mean you should do that. Um, so, yeah, that's the lesson here. And um, yeah, that's it for this card. Yeah, it seems like that ref is getting a lot of heat for stuff that wasn't the stoppage as well. The, Being um, corny. Oh, yeah. The whole... <laughs> but, yeah, who would no, do that? Who, who, would, who would shoot finger guns? I know. Just at the camera, just tacky. Nobody. But, yeah. Vyacheslav uh, Kislev, terrible, awful referee. I think he got pulled from his assignment afterwards. Uh, that was Uncle I versus Ozdemir, and thankfully that was not a fight where he could have done any damage anyway, because no one did. Uh, but... <laughs> He yeah, knocked him down. There was a knockdown that fight, Sharon. I do not care. It's, <laughs> I don't remember that knockdown. But yeah, just one of the most baffling officiating performances I think I've ever seen. Like I, I'm almost in awe of it. Like I'm impressed by it. Like in in, in the most perverse way. Uh, he took a point from Zaleski for a nut shot late in the fight. He didn't stop the fight when Sandani was uh, dead. Dead. Yeah, dead. He didn't stop the fight when Sandani was blind. He should have brought the doctor in at some point. He did not. I can only conclude that he had a bet on Benoit Sandini, or at least the fight goes going the distance or something. Uh, that still wouldn't explain the point, but maybe he had some double bet or something. He had a bet on a draw. Very possible. I think it's pretty so. obvious that he wanted to let them be warriors, but warriors have to follow the rules. He's going to be really <laughs> a stickler about the rules, but nothing that would prevent them from continue continuing the fight because they're warriors. You know what I mean? We're, we're gentlemen sense. warriors. <laughs> I think that checks out. Yeah, I think that's the end of that card. We've gone, what, 52 minutes almost. Nice. 
So yeah, we're nice. we're gonna talk about UFC 258 now. For let's let's start with this. Um, Fanyo and Dan Albert, they're gonna do a preview of the whole yeah. card, so we're not gonna talk about everything. Exactly. Uh, so we don't need to say anything a... about this card, really. So you're just privileged that you get it twice. Exactly. Sort of. And, <laughs> I mean, with our opinions, which are very good. Uh, Fanyo and Dan are, of course, yeah, they're good too. But you know, it's it's us. Obviously, you like us more, else you would be watching. But yeah, let's start with the important ones. Uh, so not Usman Covington. That's not one of those. Uh, let's start with Gaethje Chandler because that seems like the most fun one. Yeah, and luckily we've done the analysis for this fight already. Uh, there's a video and podcast out there called the Round Rob- the Round Robin of Violence. It's about uh, all the different ways that the top UFC lightweights at the time, which are the same, um, would match up with each other. It didn't change. It's still the same people. Well, there's Daryush. That's the real one. Yeah, we'll include him in the round robin. Um, so we've done the analysis for all of these fights before. Uh, the first one to take place was Chandler versus uh, Oliveira. And uh, now another one is happening. And and Poi Oliveira will be happening. And now yeah. this one's happening. So they're all happening, which is great. Except for uh, Gaethje versus uh, Poi A2, which we need. We need that. Well, and Gaethje Oliveira, but that's, Gaethje Oliveira, that may not we don't be need. happening. We don't need as yeah. much. Um, anyway, so... It's interesting to think about in terms of wrestling, just because of, I think, I wouldn't quite say we learned anything about Gaethje's wrestling in the Khabib fight, more confirmed what I already thought, um, which is that it's the same that it was in the Luis Firmino fight. (laughs) That's not a good sign in itself, is it? He had the same strengths and weaknesses as a wrestler as when he fought Luis Firmino, but at least this time his eyes were open so it wasn't as easy to shoot on him um but the things that he was good at which was pulling things in the upper body situations and being strong in the clinch and easy to shake people off once he pulls you up um right there iron hips uh but really bad at dealing with people changing directions on him really bad on so like it was very simple uh when when Khabib did get an entry that we weren't expecting off the kick uh, a reactive entry to turn the corner and, and take his back and uh, Michael Chandler does know how to turn the corner <laughs> and he does know how to set up his takedowns. He does shoot singles as well. And there's, there's a lot he can do. So I think there's reason to be a little bit afraid um, of Chandler wrestling Gaethje. But I also think that they want to hit each other really hard in the face. It looks immediately. And I think that favors Gaethje massively. Yeah, I think. My take on this fight was always that Gaethje might be a little bit too durable to lose it outright. Yeah, It's like there's a good chance he struggles a little bit, but I also don't know if he'll actually lose it. Uh, I think the biggest issue with that, obviously, is going to be that Chandler isn't the most durable guy out there to the face, and he's the most durable guy out there to the leg, and Gaethje likes to hit both, as is well documented. So, you know, that's going to be my expert analysis. But that's, really, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I think the thing with Gaethje is going to be for me, like, Backfoot Gaethje, I still don't have a tremendous read on what he does against, uh, I don't know, people don't square up in his face, I guess is the way that I'm going to put it. Like we, we saw the cowboy fight go the way that it did, and we were like, well, that's just cowboy squaring up at him, and Gaethje countered him instantly. And then we saw the Ferguson fight go the way it did. Well, like, well Gaethje looks really good. Maybe he can do this against people who don't square up in his face. And if so he that's did it against walk- Khabib. Walking into him consistently, too. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he did it against Khabib, who was also walking into him consistently, but, like, a little bit attacked. Yeah, but then he didn't stop walking into him after he hit him, so he's like, oh, no, yeah. what happens next? <laughs> yeah, and it's also that, like, Khabib is a 
a lot more conservative as a pressure fighter. Yeah. Uh, the the wrestling threat, I think it freaked him out. And that's not something that entirely goes away with Michael Chandler. Right. Um, I think it's interesting because also if Gaethje is inefficient on the back foot in that fight as he is, or in this fight as he was in that fight, Chandler is actually super good at hurting guys into stuff along the fence. Like mm-hmm. that's something that he does very consistently. Yeah. Uh, we saw into the hooker fight. I mean, Gaethje's no hooker. Uh, I don't know. In, in every way. He do be hooking. Uh, <laughs> like this. <laughs> that's a good point. Good point. Wrist uh, yeah, but I think like if we see Gaethje like circling in those wide arcs that he did against Khabib, that's something that I think Chandler can take some consistent advantage of. Where if Gaethje pressured, I don't think that's nearly as available, and I think Chandler would just fold very quickly. Um, or at least there'd be a good possibility of that happening. You'd either fold to the leg or fold to the face, as it were. Uh, so. I don't know. I don't. I, I, I've said it a lot for Gaethje. I don't like his new approach all that much. I think it's like solid against a certain kind of fighter, but I'm not sure whether Chandler is that kind of fighter uh, because you know, like he's gonna burst forward at you and be there to be, get hit on the counter. We saw it in the Oliveira fight even, but he is also fairly decent at setting up his offense. He's fairly decent at pushing guys back, and uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he's close to either Khabib nor Tony in terms of like the way he moves forward. But he does like have a stance consistently, and that's the sort of test that I need to see Gaethje pass. Uh, so I don't know. I think this is a fight that Gaethje ends up winning, uh, assuming he doesn't just get wrestled easily. But uh, who knows? It's gonna be he could crazy. still win even if he gets wrestled easily. That's also true. Yeah, I mean Chandler's a pretty good control artist, um, and he can also do damage. But I think you know Gaethje's saying, "I'm gonna be athletic and get up. It'll work." Um, yeah, that's possible. He'll he'll probably get Matt returned a bunch and maybe it'll hurt him at one point uh i wouldn't like if gaichi gets slammed on his head at some point in this fight like it, it wouldn't surprise me but also if you like told me beforehand like one thing you can know about this fight is that gaichi gets slammed on his head i'm like oh he could still win um yeah, it's, it's not like he can't win uh even if he gets wrestled so um i think that puts things pretty heavily in his favor and just like the longer it goes the better um yeah I, maybe depending on the way that it's going uh if it's just Chandler beating him up then no it's not gonna go well um over more time because Chandler's not gonna gas out winning um in three especially yeah yeah um but yeah you, you said you know if Gaethje pressures or like, if Gaethje were to pressure that's like uh the meme of uh, I wonder if he's thinking about other women and it's the guy <laughs> in bed at night it's like what if Gaethje went back to pressuring um you know it's just on one hand I feel like logically this wouldn't be the fight where he would do that because he's like, Oh, I can counter this guy. Um, and you know, this guy's definitely going to come, Kim come in on me and he throws like two or three different things on his leads and I can definitely get him. Um, and plus, you know, a lot of Gaethje's counters are, uh, you know, just intercepting entries with his own leads and starting his yeah. combinations like he did against Ferguson. Um, so all of that, it's like, okay, he's going high, I'll go low and then I'll start or, you know, vice versa. Um, not really. That didn't make sense, but <laughs> I'm going to move on. Uh, the other hand is that as soon as Charles Oliveira pushed Gaethje, uh, not Gaethje, uh, pushed Chandler back, he hit him really hard. So maybe he'll see that and be like, oh, I should, I should move forward. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what he does. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I expect him to take a step backwards um, after they touch gloves or if they touch gloves or whatever. <laughs> they also might just, uh, there might just not be directionality in this fight they might just be in the same general place the whole time. And when they move around in the cage, it's because one of them is stumbling in a direction and then he just follows him. <laughs> and that's, that's how they yeah, arrive they, at, at locations. 
I think that's the sort of fight that favors Gaethje a lot. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I think Chandler's the one who really needs to enforce a direction here. But I don't know. I'm rooting for Chandler. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because Gaethje's sort of becoming less interesting. It annoys me. Oh, but, he'll be interesting again. Don't worry. He may be, but he's <laughs> also one, less interesting than he used to be. It's been one fight where it was like, this was really a bad, a bad idea and you did uh, bad. That's only happened once. Yeah, but I also think that like right after Ferguson, we also kind of called it like if he like backfoot Gaethje looks solid, but also like pressure Gaethje would kill these people exactly as hard. Yeah, that that's basically (laughs) what it is. So yeah, I guess I want Chandler to win, and also because like he deserves a a good bit more credit. I think like after Oliveira, I see a lot of people just considering him a hype job, and I think that doesn't give him nearly enough credit. Uh, Gaethje's gotten it for doing the stuff that he did in his career, and. Chandler is pretty much on exactly the same path. And he's had a long so. career, so even if he doesn't do anything ever again, it's not like he's, you know, you're still not right. <laughs> That's true. You could go back and watch a bunch of fights where he had value. Um, yeah, so. but the point is that they won't, but they will be watching this. Exactly. Yeah, the <laughs> the Venn diagram of people who are who rewatch Michael Chandler fights and listen to this podcast would be interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, uh, but I guess now we move on to one of the fights that I said wasn't all that interesting, but Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. That's our actual main event. Um, It's easy. Yeah, it's it's, uh, Usman again without much trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, So here's here's a way. So all right. So here's the way that it could not go very long is that Usman's like, okay, I'm going to throw in the lead more now. I hit really hard. I'm not that Jorge Masvidal. I'm just going to walk this dude down and take him out. Um, that's possible. Because uh, I think that's what he should do. Because that's yeah. how he won the fight last time. After spending the whole time being a counterpuncher for no reason, um, he just walked forward and, and threw normal combinations to the head with not much craft. And they landed and he hit him as hard as he could. And he knocked him out. Like that, It was so simple. It was so simple. And there was nothing that Colby Covington was doing the entire fight to discourage him from doing that. It was there the whole time. Uh, so you would, you would think you would watch the, the tape back and be like, oh yeah, I could have done that the whole time. And the next time you're like, yeah, I'll just do that immediately and it'll work. Um, I think I'm being pretty optimistic there. Uh, <laughs> so let me give you a more realistic scenario. So Colby Covington is, uh, he's smart now, you see. Uh, that was the adaptation he made between that fight and um, the, the Woodley fight is he changed camps and now he is more thoughtful. So he takes his time. He doesn't just spam volumes. You know, the things that made him good, he doesn't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> he does. He, he pressures more responsibly and he still wrestles a little bit. And it was, it's enough to win, to win competitively against Tyron Woodley in what, 2020, something like that. Um, yeah. So that's the thing. So I think he's going to be less eager on the lead and not like throwing giving you know creating exchanges all the time against Usman like he was in the first one and Usman might just be like okay I'll just win those exchanges and I won't push the issue and then in the fifth <laughs> round or something like that I'll, I'll I'll knock you out again I'll just I'll just move forward and throw it'd be cool if you just in the same fight again <laughs> can you imagine that I, I'm expecting something really similar honestly just conceptually but I think just at a lower pace um which is so annoying because that's that's what was fun about that fight is the exchanges weren't great, but there were a lot of them. And uh, Usman, you know, statistically mostly did cool things in them. So it's just like, geez. And I don't, I still don't think Covington's going to want to wrestle with him. I think, you know, he knows he can't. 
And I think Usman's going to be comfortable just winning the way he's winning. So I don't think he's going to push the issue on it either. And I think it's going to be annoying or fast. Um, those are the two ways I can go. But yeah, I'm expecting Usman to win uh, pretty easily. Um, I think he's getting better. And I think Covington, I think he's getting worse, um, yeah. honestly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I'm in about the same place. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if Usman's smart, he could just clinch him to death. That's something that he could definitely do. Um, if he comes out pressuring and Colby just backs up, Usman can just like get into the clinch and beat the shit out of his body. That's not something that's remotely out of the realm of possibility. It just, yeah, it just like after he approached the first fight the way that he did, I think he's going to want to put more of a stamp on this one. And clinching isn't necessarily the way that I think he thinks that's done. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's kind of like the Masvidal thing where like he might just come out and do what he did the first fight, but shorter. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have that many takes on this. I thought the a lot of people thought the Wood like the Covington Woodley fight was impressive from Covington for some reason. And like they it was were like, wow. From Woodley, I think. Somewhat. I think it was a but good like, performance from Woodley. The curve we're grading Woodley on, I, I swear to God. I know. Yeah, but like they were like, wow, he threw two point five times the punches that Woodley did. I'm like, wow, you're saying he threw two point five punches. <laughs> it's like, shut the fuck up. But it's just, I thought that was pretty bad. Uh, he won by finish, but also, like, the the fourth most impressive win people got in MMA over Tyron Woodley from the years 2019 to 2021, <laughs> by far. Like, you're, you're, you're having so many qualifiers there, and you're still not able to beat one person. Just, no. But, yeah, it's, it's a bad fight for Covington. It always was a bad fight for Covington. Um, like if Usman was a jack dude who'd gas, that give him a route, but he's a jack dude who doesn't gas by definition. Yeah, that's a bad fight for Covington. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, it's tough to, to mine a lot out of this fight. You know, it's just same sort of messy exchanges, I'm guessing, but Usman doesn't, we saw already Usman doesn't need to be comfortable to beat him in exchanges. And now Usman's more comfortable. So what's he going to do to him in exchanges? Like do the math. going to counter jab so, him. Yeah. So. You know, I, I guess it could be fun, but I don't expect it to be super worthwhile, if that makes sense. Uh, but, it was yeah. never worthwhile. It shouldn't have been made. He, he doesn't deserve a rematch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Edwards deserves more. Burns, unironically, deserves a rematch more than absolutely. Covington does. Absolutely, he does. Like, fucking Usman versus Muslim Salikov makes more sense, and, uh, and that doesn't make any sense at all. Burns is more deserving so. on, on all fronts, like, in his success in his fight with Usman and in terms of actually beating people in the division to get the title shot. Yeah. Um, it's not even Woodley close. Is not even in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, like the only there's literally the only argument is that Colby lost to Usman earlier, and at that point, you're literally rewarding inactivity. Mm-hmm. Like, that's literally exactly what you're doing. So, yeah, maybe Colby will fight uh, Nick Diaz after this. That seems like a stupid. imagine the buildup, man. That's what people Very say. Possible. That's what you sound like MMA fans. You're always like <laughs> the buildup, though. You're like you want to watch a fight because of the buildup. <laughs> Colby Covington versus Hamza Chumayev, that's going to happen. Yeah, imagine um, how, honestly, Colby might actually get murdered <laughs> in that one. He might just say nothing because I think he knows. I think sometimes he knows that he there are certain people he shouldn't say anything about. And he I think he chooses his battles. And I don't, I don't think Clever. he would say anything because <laughs> Chumayev is like actually, you know, you know, Tuman has this entire podcast episode about like the way that people fetishize people from the caucuses and like make them out to be certain people. I'm not saying Shemaev is this way because of uh, caucus culture, caucuses culture. I'm saying it's because he is actually crazy um, just as a person and he will stab you. He'll definitely stab you. We've heard a lot of weird things about him. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how many of them are true, but I'm 
like if a quarter are true, that's very concerning. It's not because so. he's Chechen, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Chechnyans, the most important fight happening this weekend is not in the UFC. Abdulaziz Abdulbahabov is defending against the deserving challenger in his prime, Hakron Diaz. So that's going to be my plug for this one. Go watch that. I think it's on Friday. So it's going to be fun. But yeah, AAA, the GOAT, the best lightweight fighting this weekend, except for Ally Quinta, obviously. So yeah, uh, I just wanted to sneak that one in there. Anything else on this card we want to talk about? Yes. Um, well, not this, but real quick. Uh, Rose Namunis is fighting Weili Zhang again. Why? I don't, I don't really understand entirely why. Um, has anything changed since the last fight? No. Uh, so I would just go recommend looking at whatever we said about it at that time and then after the fight and that's still what we think and i uh i don't know i guess i pick rose uh whaley is training with suhudo uh so maybe she will uh replicate carla esparza's um legendary performance to win the inaugural title (laughs) yeah i think i'm picking whaley because i picked her the first time and like that fight didn't really tell me much um but okay who really knows that's interesting I picked her the like I, I don't have a reason. I genuinely don't. I feel like it was kind of Andrade's reasons that she's a, a big hitter and she's got you know a good motor. She can and go five rounds. She'll keep forcing yeah. exchanges, and we thought that she'd be durable and not just get knocked out immediately. But uh, that is what happened. She did. Okay, I'll pick her too. We we pick Weili Zhang. There you go. Cejudo is gonna like be like double down on that. Like you need to walk her down with two threes. Um, and she's going to do it. <laughs> That's the theme of this podcast. Walk him down with two threes. It's it's a pretty good strategy, I have to say. I mean, Usman could do that too. He could. Chandler's yeah. definitely going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, maybe they could even jab. I don't know. I'm getting crazy changing it to three strikes. I know that <laughs> we're doing really well at two, but if you jabbed as well, I think that would really spice things up. That's a good point. All right. The fight that I actually want to talk about is uh, Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Chito Vera. I think it's pretty competitive. I know that the gut reaction is Chito will kill him in the third round, um, which everything that you could analyze about this fight could still be true, and that could still happen no matter which way you were leaning, um, which is what makes it pretty fun, is that I don't really care what happens in the first two rounds because <laughs> I'm still going to expect Chito to kill him in the third round because that's just what he does. Um and, you know, Edgar's durability has been a real weird thing to place. Um, I have to say, I don't really understand it. Um, and I don't feel any more confident about it after he got knocked dead by Corey Sandhagen in 28 seconds. Because uh, it was like, okay, by the, you know, the Ortega fight, yeah, or- Ortega hits pretty hard. Um, and he hit him really hard and he rocked him a bunch. And he gets, you know, Edgar getting rocked is nothing new. It was kind of a normal aggregating rock situation, and then he got followed up on and he got put away. Um, fair enough. Uh, Max didn't really hurt him, um, but that's that was fine. And it was a, a bit of a sheepish performance by Max, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, but then the Korean zombie knocked him around in a way that made him look like he couldn't take a punch anymore. Um, and the Korean zombie hits hard, but he hits hard when he hits you really clean. And he was mostly not hitting him clean. And he was really wobbling him with everything. So you're just like, whoa. Um, Edgar has no chin anymore. So when he fought Munoz, you're like, okay, Munoz hits pretty hard. He should hurt him. And he didn't. Um, and then Sanhagen knocked him out. So I have no idea um, where his durability is at. Do you? Yeah, it's been weird. I thought it, like the, the, the move to Bantamweight sort of fixed it a bit because like those guys don't hit quite as hard. But 
turns out it's just as weird. Um, Some yeah, I mean, it might have just like been eight feet in the air. So that's yeah, I think that's mostly what it is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Sanhagen just hitting him super clean, super early while he was cold. That's also just very possible. Yeah, uh, Munoz not fast enough to surprise anybody with anything. So you know, maybe Edgar just saw it all coming, surprise and a lot of Munoz with kicks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think a lot of Munoz's work being attritional work, that's also something. So who knows? But yeah, in terms of this fight, I don't really have a strong read on it either. Um, I think it's going to be weird and fun. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my entire read. I don't really trust Edgar to wrestle all that effectively anymore, not after the uh, the, the Cub Swanson rematch. That was well, ugly. Um, I am of two minds when it comes to that. Uh, that's kind of what I wanted to mention was just that, um, yeah. Chito can wrestle um, a little bit, a little bit. He's uh, fairly competent in that regard. He can he can go offensive as well, and uh, he's he's a good, good grappler, a better grappler than wrestler, I would say. Um, so I don't feel like oh he's in trouble um, in those terms. But the Aldo backpack is interesting. The Aldo backpack is interesting because Edgar you know can still get to his shots uh, pretty consistently. His setups are, are pretty safe for him to get some sort of like single leg at least. Um, and he was doing that against Munoz and Munoz was limp legging and, uh, Edgar was prepared for that. And he actually was showed a lot of urgency in getting seatbelt or getting to the back outright, uh, when people limp leg, which is one of the counters to that defense. Um, and something that you should be prepared for if you're going to shoot a lot of singles, um, you should be prepared for people limp leg and you should, um, get right to the back and you should work, work those chains and work those transitions. And he was doing that against Munoz and, you know, Munoz is also good. Once you're in that situation, he's peeling the hands and I don't think Edgar took him down genuinely the whole time, but he got closer than I thought he was going to. Um, so I don't know, just Edgar being a good wrestler and a good control artist. I think that maybe he could slow this fight down pretty considerably. Um, if he's able to get to his shots reliably and, and make those transitions and get to good positions, um, which he really might be able to do if he's like hanging out on a single leg against the cage, if he's trying to do too much there, I could see that being like an elbow territory type of deal where he's getting hurt there. I'm just going to assume like he can get hurt in most situations. Um, I feel like it won't be at range because I think he's going to stay pretty far away. Um, it's going to be annoying. But yeah, I think once they're in exchanges or even in grappling sequences, I think he, he might get hurt in those. So uh, I think he'll probably try to, to approach it that way and just kind of minimize how often they're exchanging and uh, just try to time things pretty well to, to wrestle. So I think he's got a path, um, but I also expect Cheeto to get better at dealing with it and to track him down a little bit better over time. And by the third round, he'll be uh, building up some some steam. And that seems like it's going to turn into something. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a read on this fight at all, just because I don't know much about wrestling in general, but also about these two people's wrestling at this point in their careers. It's just an, an incredibly weird fight. I think it's a perfect fight to make, honestly. Like, it's a really good fight, assuming that you actually gave Edgar the Munoz fight. Like, it's very sensible. It's just weird. Like, I don't know. I think Cheeto does have kind of a tendency to fall into weird grappling situations that like don't necessarily favor him. So that's another route. Like remember the arm triangle he tried to hit on Andre Ewell when mm-hmm. he was like standing up and he just sort of fell to his back and spent most of the round there. That sort of thing could cost him pretty deeply against uh, Frankie Edgar, who can at least maintain top position pretty consistently. But I don't know. Like the striking, I don't have much of a read on either. 
I think uh, Edgar is pretty kickable at this stage in his career, but he could probably dissuade that with the takedown threat a little bit. Uh, Vera, decent counter threat as guys step in, and Edgar's going to be stepping in hard. That's what he does a lot uh, in like his entire career. So that check hook and the jab could be a factor, but also like Edgar's done a decent job working around it, even as um, recently as Pedro Munoz. So who really knows? Um, yeah, it's it's a weird fight. I think three rounds, it, it probably favors Edgar as oh, a less yeah. durable party who's less likely to build. Definitely. But... I don't know. It's a it's good matchmaking though. I, I'm I'm cool with it. Um, but yeah, just uh, that's it for actual analysis on the card. But just some shout outs. I think uh, Alex Pereira. I don't know how you actually say it with the Portuguese pronunciation, but um, he knocked out Israel Adesanya. He was a glory champion. I think he was. Did he uh, he lose the belt to Vakitov when he was leaving? I yeah, I think he did. Yeah, he yeah. did. Um, but both their fights were pretty close. Um, but he's making his UFC debut. So he had some MMA fights uh, a while ago, and Kyle McLaughlin did an article basically saying, like, is is he good at MMA? Uh, and the answer was no. The answer wasn't good. Yeah, yeah is that he was not good at <laughs> MMA, um, but that he still had potential. But just that his him not knowing how to do MMA was an issue. Um, like he's just like was not a good grappler, and like didn't seem to understand the transitions. But just like was in enough situations standing where he could do well. Um, but yeah, that he like was just kind of freewheeling it and probably not taking it super seriously. So I assume that he's in the UFC. Um, he's taking it pretty seriously, you would hope. And he's fighting Andreas Nicolaitis. Yeah. Who, I, um... I, I believe that's the guy who fell out of the cage when Modestus Bukaskis elbowed him a bunch. Hmm. Uh, I don't know anything else about his game. Probably meant to be sort yeah, of a he's had two, feeding. He's had two fights in the UFC, and yeah. uh, I don't know if I've seen them. But Has he won either? Yeah, he won the most recent one against KB Buller. That dude. That's the guy who got knocked out by a breeze jab in the year of our Lord 2020, I think. So, Yeah, I don't think this is meant to be a super interesting fight, just something to get Perheya. Yeah, I hope he wins. UFC, yeah. Perheya, um, that's how I would say it. I don't know Pajaya. why I couldn't, it wasn't coming to me. Right, <laughs> there we go. Um, other shout outs. Bobby Green. Bobby Green. Ally Quinta is the real shout out. The, the Habib uh, defeater. Ally Quinta will be his opponent, but I think Al uh, just in it for the paycheck these days, man. I don't think he's. I don't think he's got the heart. You know, the the will and determination to win he showed against Habib. You know, <laughs> the, the one of the the hardest effort performances of all time. Like a guy who really wanted to win that fight. Um, you know, just I've never seen anything like it. So I, I don't think that that desire is there anymore from him. So I think. Uh, should be interesting because I think caring uh, is both good and bad against Bobby Green. Um, you know, because him like clowning you is going to bother you if you care more. Um, yeah. Or it'll fire you up and get you into like a really awesome fight like it did against uh, Fazeev. But I also think that uh, not caring is also a good idea because then you can just kind of hang back and not uh, give him a ton to work with because, um, yeah. Then you I, can end up with a weird split decision. Yeah, I think Green gets better. <laughs> Um, later in fights when he's got more time to figure things out. Uh, yeah, Al also doesn't have that, like, I'm going to run you over right away potential. Um, you, you know, although, like, Dustin Poirier did that, but it's not like you can just athlete him, because, again, Fazeev would have, um, <laughs> if that was possible. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm picking green pretty comfortably, right? Yeah, I probably will, but, you know, I, I want Al to win, because I like him more than funny. I should. <laughs> yeah, I also think that Al versus Lee, too, is one of the greatest fights of our generation, like, genuinely. Uh, it's just so good. It's uh, tremendous. You... Yeah, like, 
you're never gonna convince me of anything otherwise. It's just it's so it's a total package. It's like a fucking movie. I love it so much. But yeah, I think awful long layoff. It's tough to favor Al, uh, just because he started to look a little bit worn by the hooker fight. Um, and Green is consistently going to be there in terms of volume. He's not like a super hard hitter, but he can like hurt people. And you know, he's reasonably he's very durable, in fact. And uh, Al isn't that sort of dude who's, as you mentioned, he's not going to run you anyone over very quickly. And and the guy he the guys he has done that to tend to be like really old and bad at this point in their career. So yeah, I think it's probably going to be Green. But I hope Al tries really hard and steals one, so I can say he's better than Fazeev. Here are my uh, my wishes for some of these other undercard fights. I hope Phil Hawes and Chris Curtis both have fun. Because Phil Hawes genuinely has improved and, and turned into a, a pretty decent fighter after being kind of like a prospect bust a few yeah. times. Uh, he's putting it together because he's at a hoofed. That's how that goes. Uh, and Chris Kerr has been around forever. He's been solid for a long time and he should have had a shot a long time ago. So hope they both have fun. Uh, I hope uh, Nasruddin Imavov uh, knocks out Edmund Shabazian because uh, I don't like him. And I think Nasruddin Imavov has some, some potential just as a striker. And only yeah, as a striker. <laughs> uh, I mean, he didn't beat Phil Hawes despite being wrestled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was... Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I hope uh, that Ian Gary is good because uh, our friend Lugash uh, hyped him up and said he's good and he is also hoofed. So undefeated prospect from uh, Ireland, it looks like. So hope he's good. And uh, I hope that neither John Vellante or Chris Barnett have heart attacks. That is something i'm really hoping for because chris barnett looked uh he looked dire he, his Rothwell. whole thing was being like i am a surprising athlete for my size uh that was years ago <laughs> that was a long time ago um he is far past those days um i don't know why they signed him it's not funny it's not i think he'll short though. notice yeah. i know but oh my god so uh we'll see what happens there um and my other wish is that um Nelsik bagdasarian looks great because uh i like him and i think he's good and he's uh he's pretty meat and potatoes as a kickboxer but he's also very physical and seems to get it you know what i mean and uh i don't know he's he's young and he looks good and i'm ready ready for him he's 29 he's not that young but i I was fooled by his record but yeah i'm i'm in on melzik let's go yeah, my only hope is that Shane Burgos and Quarantillo do a good job. That, sound, that fight sounds uh, awesome. I thought we were just ignoring them because I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's way too good. I know Fanyo and Dan Albert are going to cover it in detail. Yeah, exactly. But it seems like, seems like one of those super crazy fights where like a guy with a ton of insane attributes runs into another guy with a ton of insane attributes, but also like a tiny bit more polish. So it could end up like kind of messy. Uh, but it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be grimy. Um, Has hope- anyone ever just like wailed on Quarantillo's body? I feel like Tucker hit his body a little bit, mm-hmm. but didn't wail on it. I think he went to it in the clinch a bit. I don't know. Because I think uh, we might be surprised just because uh, Quarantillo's durability is obviously like, okay, you can hit him with the truck. Um, but can you hit him with the truck to the body? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah, Burgos is definitely going to test that, assuming he's still there after the, the last couple fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that one more than anything, really. That sure, fits. and we did it. We covered yeah. the cards. Wow. It didn't take that long. Uh, yeah, it looks like only about half an hour more than usual. I'm proud. proud if anyone's still here, thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah, you're still here. You're still here. No, uh, listen, dude, I, I dropped a gem on him at the end. 
of the last podcast. And now they're like, is there going to be something, you know, something spicy at the end of, of this podcast? The answer is no, <laughs> not this time. But notice how you I got say bamboozled. This time. So like, that means that perhaps other times, uh, no, I'll probably tell you in the beginning, if there's going to be something at the end that you should look for, cause I don't want to like, prepare something special and then have it be a secret. I want you to know. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see in the future. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the end of this one. Go check out the uh, article that we mentioned earlier with uh, Ben talking about Chimaya's submission. Um, go check out the uh, the other podcast. Dan and Fania are going to be covering all the other fights in a lot more detail than we have. Uh, they're the ones who should really be proud of covering the whole card because they're really covering the entire cards. Uh, so, you yeah. should follow me on Instagram. I'm not going to tell you my yeah, handle. I agree. Just find me. <laughs> yeah, it's worth looking. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so... Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think we're done. So three, two, one.